Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our spotlight on the positive segment. And here are some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. Hey, good evening, folks, and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here with you as we get you ready for week number 11 of the NFL season. Bob, just like the players in the Thursday night game, quick turnaround for, for us from last week's show. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing okay, Chris, and uh, I want to wish you and your wife an early happy anniversary. Uh, that's coming up, I know, and uh, you guys are the best. Appreciate you very much, my friend. Looking forward to it. We're going to head up to the North Georgia mountains for a couple of days, enjoy some, uh, hopefully some rest and relaxation. going to be cold, Bob. We're going to have uh, Connecticut-like weather up there. <laughs> Highs around 40, lows around 20. So we're going to feel what you feel now. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was telling you off the air, uh, 23 when I woke up this morning and just a few days ago at the Yale Bowl at the Princeton game, it was 73, which I've never felt in November up here. So, uh, <laughs> hey, what's 50 degrees, right, Chris? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that's right. It's typical New England stuff, but, um, hey, uh, we got to mid-November without any major stuff. So tonight, little mix here. So, hey, anything goes now, Chris, now until, well, May probably. So, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> right. there we go. Bob, I want to start our uh, our show off tonight by getting your thoughts on what we've seen from the Buffalo Bills. I was talking to our good friend Angelo Kane yesterday, and Ange being a big Bills fan, I told him that the Bills, they're the most entertaining team to watch week to week. They either win or lose in spectacular fashion. The game last Sunday against the Vikings reminded me a lot of their playoff loss last season to the Chiefs. They presented the Vikings with the miracle that they needed in order to potentially win that game when you thought, that well, the Vikings are dead. No, nope, the Bills gave it back to them, just like they did to the Chiefs near the end of the fourth quarter in that playoff game. Josh Allen, who has looked unquestionably like an MVP candidate up to a few weeks ago, he's cost them their last two games. Bob, your thoughts on the Bills? Yeah, Chris, they. Uh, I did not expect them to be behind any team at this point. You know, I mean, Miami has played one more game and has one more win than them, but I, I expected Buffalo, um, as you know, that was one of my Super Bowl teams. So I expected them to probably have a few game lead by now. Uh, it's not happening, Chris. I mean, they're, you know, if anybody watched that game, I'm, I'm still exhausted from watching it. It was that kind <laughs> of excitement. It was, it was a terrific game. Uh, but, you know, I mean, when you think about it, Chris, they scored, Buffalo scored most of the points in the first half of that game. You know, I mean, the Vikings made some incredible adjustments. The Vikings, uh, to, for, have, for a team like Minnesota to go up to Buffalo in that kind of hostile environment, I don't think any NFC team could have done that on Sunday, you know, and now that they 
are tied for the best record. That might be the best team in the NFC, Minnesota, right now. So uh, that was a tough one for Buffalo. I had picked Buffalo. I, I really thought they would do it, but um, that that game featured the best catch I've ever seen watching right? football over 50 years. Justin Jefferson. I mean, I've seen the Beckham stuff. I've seen tons of one-handed catches, but for him to do what he did and complete the catch, that was that I've never seen anything that athletic. I don't know if you could get any better. Uh, by far, it was the best I've ever seen. So give them credit. I mean, they're winning. And But Buffalo, Chris, I think still think they're good. They're winning games and they're staying in games because of that defense. And I think that would probably be the difference between them and Miami at the end of the year. Buffalo will play better defense. Well, i tell you what, and getting back to that Justin Jefferson catch, I mean, I love the George Pickens catch, obviously, being a Steelers fan. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was amazing earlier this year. But the thing that sets that Justin Jefferson catch apart, I mean, he goes up one-handed. The Bills defensive back had two hands on the football, and Jefferson had one. And as they're coming down, somehow he wrestles that ball away and makes that catch. Fourth down and 18, oh, by the way, right? So he doesn't make that catch. Game's over right there. But he makes that unbelievable catch, Bob. I, I, to your point, you know, the Odell Beckham thing was great. I think the Pickens catch was even better than Odell's. But that one, unbelievable how he came down with that football. Yeah, I, I again, uh, you know, you mentioned a couple other things. You know, the timing of it, the yardage needed, everything. Uh, one-handed and, and just for that ball not to hit the ground. I had to watch it five times. Did I, that, that didn't hit the ground? No. And uh, for him to... You know, he wasn't looking at the ball or when it, that was all natural instincts. It was just tremendous. And I'm just glad I was watching it live, man. I, I probably will never see anything quite like that again. And Bob, staying with the Bills, there were two crucial missed calls late in that game. Gabe, Dave, Gabe Davis credited with a 20 yard catch that got the Bills into Vikings territory with 24 seconds left. Clearly not a catch. And then on the Vikings' first drive in overtime, and ESPN has confirmed this, that the Bills had 12 players on the field when the Vikings had it first and goal from the two. And on that play, Dalvin Cook ends up getting tackled for a three-yard loss. So instead of it being second and uh, second and goal from the five, should have been first and goal from the one. I mean, I get the human error piece of all of that, and there's reviews that should have came from the booth for that Gabe Davis non-catch. And then the back judge, you would think, would least counting the number of players back there on defense. Your thoughts on the two missed calls? Yeah, Chris, I, I think you kind of covered it. I mean, that the Gabe Davis one, uh, how they didn't have to review. And, and that's all you heard uh, after that on different uh, highlight shows that they didn't even look at it. And uh, it was clearly uh, not controlled out of bounds. And, you know, I, I don't know how that, that happened. You know, with all the things we have, technology at our disposal, how that can happen at this point. And, uh, you know, and, and, and like you said, 12 men on the field. I don't know about you, Chris. It's almost like every game, well, maybe not every game, but there's got to be like five, six games a week where the referees are in the news. And, and this, this never happened 20, 25 years ago. Um, you know, I know the game has gotten uh, much more technical and, and, but for these things to happen and I don't know if uh, what they can do to fix it, Chris, you know, pay these guys better, hire better, school them better. Maybe they're not keeping up with the technology. I don't know. I think it's so complicated now. Maybe these guys uh, are, are kind of robotic in the way they operate. So 
but yeah, I mean, to me, it's becoming a problem. Referee, almost every time you wake up on a Monday morning, you read about referees affecting some kind of game, and not just football and other sports. So, uh, you know what baseball is like, Chris. That was, that was, they had another tough year there. So maybe it's just, we have too much eyes on it with social media and everything. That's part of it. We have too much technology, camera angles to critique these guys. I think it's a combination of everything I just said. But um, I'm not sure if there's anything that can be done about it. Bob, and other news around the league so far this week. The Raiders' ownership have given head coach Josh McDaniels the dreaded vote of confidence. If you're going to Vegas over under, how much longer is Josh McDaniels the coach of the Raiders? You know, I read about that Davis giving, not only giving a vote of confidence, Chris, saying he's done a tremendous job so far. Now, you know, I, I've said since, you know, since the show started that certain guys are just coordinators. Josh McDaniels is just a coordinator and he left New England again to make, to make some big bucks. Um, not a good hire, terrible hire. He's a coordinator. You know, I'd like to see him go back to New England, and, and a lot of people here would because they don't have an offensive coach right now. Maybe Frank <laughs> Reich could do something in New England, too. Those are two guys that probably will be available. But to give him a vote of confidence, but even more, to say he's doing a tremendous job, that is such a PR faux pas. Uh, I don't know what else to add to that. <laughs> Agreed. Two and seven. Lost three games in a row. They're negative 23 in the point differential. Tremendous job? That tells you yeah. tremendous job? Wow. I can't imagine he's around much longer. Bob, let's move along and let's get into our Unsung Hero of the Week award. Um, your thoughts? Who is the lesser-known player that really impressed you? You know, this guy is becoming a, a more popular player, but um, I have to give this to Isaiah Pacheco of the Chiefs, Chris. He... Um, you know, he came into this game against Jacksonville, uh, having rushed, I think, just 44 times on the season. So he got a, a season high 16 carries, 82 yards, Chris, uh, just kept, I mean, the guy's tough, you know, I mean, and he's the kind of guy you and I have always pointed out he gotta love a seventh round pick, Chris. Wow. Uh, you know, 251st overall, I think, out of Rutgers, right? I mean, you gotta love the guy. Um, you know, not a big guy, but very strong. But you could see, I mean, he's got some electricity to him. And I think Andy Reid is is starting to use him and kind of get familiar what he can do. And uh, it's like you turn around and his name comes up. But, you know, rookie, uh, again, only had 44 coming in. Uh, to get 16 kids, you know they're getting more confidence in this guy. But any guy who is a seventh-round pick, who does an incredible job on a Sunday, Chris, is going to be featured in the segment. So a shout-out to Pacheco this week. Yeah, and I'm going to be a homer. I'm going to stay with, with my Steelers, and my Unsung Hero Award is going to linebacker Robert Spillane. Bob, here's a guy, an undrafted free agent out of Western Michigan, and you know those directional Michigan players don't get a lot of love in the draft. He originally signed with the Tennessee Titans, was on their roster for a couple of games, then cut, and the Steelers signed him back in 2019. He steps in on Sunday in place of an injured Miles Jack, and Jack was the Steelers' leading tackler going into that game. Delane steps in and leads the team in tackles against the Saints. Made a key tackle on a fourth and inches play, very controversial play, when the Saints decided to go for it from their own 34-yard line. He tackles Andy Dalton for a loss. 
Belaine, a, a no-nonsense guy, a guy who puts his heart into every single play. Again, an, an undrafted free agent. We love those guys, too. That's why he's my unsung hero of the week. Great pick. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us, what's on your mind tonight? Bob, I want to start this week's edition of Bob's Take by getting your thoughts on which things stood out to you more last week. Jeff Saturday coming in and leading the Colts to a win over the Raiders or the Commanders being the team to end the Eagles' undefeated season? I think what surprised me more was definitely the Colts' victory, Chris. Um, You know, for Saturday to come in here now, (laughs) this is a guy that was coaching at a high school level not long ago, um, and right away, uh, I had said this during the week, I I thought, you know, you got to give Matt Ryan his job back. I mean, what do you have to lose? I mean, he just needed some help, and Saturday, I mean, for for lack of coaching experience, I know he took a lot of heat from so many people. Um, you know, the guy was a very good NFL player, got some incredible leadership qualities, and you know, he said, "Look, I've been around Hall of Famers, I, I've been to a dozen Pro Bowl, whatever he did." Uh, you know, and, and and we know Chris that head coaches, unlike coordinators, head coaches are kind of organized and and more motivators. So. You know, maybe it's not as bad as a hire as a lot of people thought, but I still was shocked that they would be able to just come in and the week they had, he, 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 I think the guy calling plays for them is in his thirties, a very young guy too. And on the other, on the other side, the commanders, Chris, they're playing better under Rivera. You know, the Eagles, you know, having the undefeated streak, you know, it, it was about time for them to lose, uh, you know, and then some boneheaded penalties there. And so I was definitely. Uh, more surprised by the Colts. Bob, just when you thought that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers were dead, they get a big come-from-behind win over the Cowboys on Sunday. So with eight teams getting into the playoffs now in each conference, even at four and six, they're only one game back of the Commanders for the eighth seed. Could the Packers make a run and find themselves as a wild-card team? Well... That is my other Super Bowl team. You know, now, could I take that back at this point if I could? Sure. I, I don't think they're going to go. I mean, because, I mean, you just can't have that many losses. It's going to be a rough road for them if and when they do get to the postseason. But when you really think about it, Chris, there's only about two or three teams in the entire league that probably are totally out of it right now. Houston, maybe Las Vegas, you know, maybe the Bears. Uh, but there are some, you just, Again, you're right. I mean, a couple, any of these teams put together three, four game win streak, um, with the parity in the league right now and the fact that almost any team is beatable, um, another five, six weeks from now when we do this show, I mean, the standings could look like anything. So as far as a team with Green Bay's talent, I, you can't, you cannot, uh, say that they might be out of it. I mean, and you could see that that was such a, a big win how crazy Lambeau was going, how crazy Rodgers was. But, again, this is a team that still has a negative 31 differential, Chris. they got a lot of work to do. But I know uh, Rodgers is taking it one day at a time, maybe starting to get more familiar with some of these younger receivers. And uh, But, yeah, I, I would not count them out of it. Uh, three or four wins in a row, and, you know, everybody's talking about them instead of some others. 
One more, Bob, and let's just take that a step further. Teams with five wins are holding down the seventh and eighth seed in both conferences. That means that everyone is still alive. Everyone is still alive in the NFC, to your point a moment ago, because the worst teams have three wins, so they're only two games out with eight games to go. Fourteen of the 16 teams, again, to your point, in the AFC, also still alive. Now, this seems like exactly what the NFL wanted. Teams, you know, in just about every city still have hope going into the second half of the season. Is that great for the NFL, Bob? Or are we starting to reward mediocrity? It is great for the NFL as far as if you're an NFL, if you're an administrator, you're running the league, Chris. It, 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 you know, it's, it's exactly like wild card in baseball. You know, when you can drum up interest late in the season for teams, you know, just to keep those dreams alive, Chris, when you keep those dreams alive for a playoff spot, the turnstiles are, are turning, you know, they're selling things. Uh, there's interest. There, the brand is out there, and that's exactly what the NFL wants. I mean, it, it's it's turning just perfectly the way they wanted it here. So again, uh, you know, I had mentioned like a team like Chicago. Well, they're free. They may not be out of it. I mean, if they just keep it together, stay close to 500. Um, you know, again, and and so they're back in it, and. You know, it's hard to think that the Rams at three and six are out of it, Chris. I mean, they lost Cup for about a month now, but that's a Super Bowl team. And I mean, are you going to say that they're out of it now? Well, you know, that division is still winnable. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the bigger question is the NFL, does they like that? Parody is great for the entire league. It's great for TV watching everything because it keeps teams out there in the public eye. All right, folks, that is this week's edition of Bob's Take. We've got a jam-packed show for you tonight with our guests, Paul Alexander, Tony Collins, Willie Simmons, and Richmond Webb. We'll be right back with Paul Alexander on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. All right, now back in. Are you ready for this? For the 27th time with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is Pittsburgh Sports Talk radio host and TNT guest Hall of Famer, Paul Alexander. You can hear Paul sharing his insights on 93.7 The Fan up in Pittsburgh. And like we say every time he comes on the show, nobody knows Pittsburgh sports as well as Paul does. He's a member of our 2016 Guest Hall of Fame class and one of the great guys you get to meet in this life. We are very honored he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Paul, how are you, my friend? Hi, Paul. You with us? I am. There you are. There you Uh, are. We lost you for a half time. Paul, I got to start off by getting your thoughts on the Steelers' big win over the Saints on Sunday. Hope springs eternal now. We were talking about this in the last segment. Steelers got three wins. Not dead yet. So with TJ back and maybe a rejuvenated defense and Hey, guess what? The Steelers might actually have a running game, something we haven't seen, and I can't remember how long. Uh, if, if they were to get a win over the Bengals, still alive? There's uh, there's always hope. And until you're mathematically out of it, and I know it's only been two games, but you look at the numbers with and without Jay Watt, you still have to consider him for the defensive player of the year. And I know that sounds <laughs> ridiculous, but... Honestly, guys, if you look at the numbers, the statistical numbers that when T.J. Watt is in the game, 
Steelers in two games have nine sacks. In the six games that he missed, they have six sacks. And it's just, the numbers are mind-boggling. And it's the ultimate team game. We all know football. Um, I think what we do here and what, what we do all over the country with sports talk radio, we insist on making it about it's either the coach's fault or it's the quarterback's fault. Or we always try to make it one entity so there's someone we can blame for something that doesn't go the way that we think it should go. And that's never the case. It's always a multiple, like uh, the folks in Boston. Is it is it Brady and Belichick or is it Belichick and now Brady won a Super Bowl without Belichick? So it must have been Brady. Well, no, obviously, guys. It, it was the combination of those two for all those years and those six Super Bowls. But I have never seen and all these many 40 plus years of covering sports, a player have that much of an impact. One player should not be that ridiculously dominant that when he's, the Steelers are one in 10 without TJ Watt. One in 10. Wow. It's crazy. It is crazy. So what do you attribute that to? Is that, is that the extra attention? That he draws because you gotta chip him, you gotta double team him, so therefore Alex Highsmith gets two sacks in the game. But it, it, you know, the time that the quarterback has is, is so, so, so much less, so he's, you know, forced into turnovers or throw. I mean, what is it? Why is TJ that big of a difference? One guy shouldn't make that big of a difference, but he does. He most certainly does. And, and I think it's, it's all of the above. It's, it's mainly that you now dictate what an offense has to do. You know where certain players offensively are going to be because they do have to account for T.J. Watt. And obviously, you know, Alex Highsmith has eight and a half sacks, but they all come when T.J. Watt is in the game. He doesn't even have, without T.J., he doesn't even he doesn't even have hurries or pressure without T.J. Watt. But all of a sudden, you put Alex Smith opposite T.J. Watt, he's a force. Corners, I mean, just imagine playing corner or safety in the NFL and you give some of these great quarterbacks, you know, an eternity to throw the football against these great wide receivers. You can't cover them that long. It's physically impossible. But when you don't have to cover them very long, all of a sudden, you can be a much better corner, a much better safety. And, I mean, for me, the season was about the development of Kenny Pickett. I didn't think this season was going to be much more than we've seen so far. But with the rest of the league kind of coming back, you know, you know, a lot of us were crowning the Bills as the Super Bowl champ. No one could play with them and no one could do this. And, you know, Philadelphia, you know, as far as the NFC goes, and then they kind of, uh, they soiled the bed last night, uh, against a pretty bad football team. So as you guys were talking about coming into this segment, it's still wide open. And I remember I'll go back to the 05 season. Uh, when the Steelers became the first six seed to win a Super Bowl by playing every playoff game on the road. They were the first team to do that. And they needed to win every game down the stretch just to make the playoff. There's something to be said about, you know, being in playoff mode a good three, four weeks before everybody else. You know, you don't get the, the home field advantage and the week off and the bye because a lot of teams get stale. A lot of teams, you know, don't win the Super Bowl. Uh, when they have everything that you could have, you know, going for you, going for you. So I'm not sure the Steelers are a Super Bowl caliber team. Now, granted, 
if we would talk this time next week after a convincing win over the Bengals, my tune could change a little bit. I don't really foresee that happening, but why not in this crazy league right now? I mean, anything can happen. You saw it last night. Right. And Paul, to your point about Kenny Pickett, I, I get in Twitter arguments with supposed Steeler fans all the time because they're ready to give up on Kenny now. And they're talking about drafting another quarterback if they were to get into the top 10 in the draft in, you know, in April. And I tell them, if the Steelers had given up on Bradshaw after four games, and then they never win any of those Super Bowls in the 70s, if the Bills give up that quick on Josh Allen, we're not talking about the Bills right now. You know, Tua, if they gave up on Tua and Peyton Manning, and you know, oh, yeah. there's a lot of guys that came into the league. That did. Yeah, I mean, you know, not everyone's Dan Marino, right? They're going to come in and, no, and, and do that right off the bat. I mean, I tell them, hey, look, and, talk and to me forget after and I think what, next season. And, and, Bob, what everyone compares, you know, I mean, our most recent history is Ben Roethlisberger went 15-1 and one as a rookie. So that's what everybody compares it to, but they forget that they had one of the most dominant defenses, you know, maybe a top 10 defense in NFL history. And, you know, a ground-and-pound running game that, you know, Ben just had to basically manage the game. Now, he became a Hall of Fame quarterback and became, you know, his biggest games, his biggest numbers came in seasons. They didn't even come close to winning a Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowls with defense and a running game. And I know that's not, you know, fashionable or sexy or exciting, but I think that's who Kenny Pickett can be. But they better give him the other, other two elements. You know, with T.J. Watt, they certainly provide one. And what we saw with, uh, you know, with Warren and Najee on Sunday, maybe they can give him the other. If they give Kenny Pickett, uh, a reasonable running and a very opportunistic and, you know, uh, a defense that's not going to give up a lot of points. Yeah. I mean, Kenny Pickett can be the guy. He needs to improve. Uh, he's, you know, five games into his career. I am not anyone can make a judgment on a quarterback, even in their entire first season. I don't care when you draft them. Drafting an NFL quarterback doesn't speed up the ability to adjust to the game, the speed of the game, the intricacies, the, you know, the disguising of defenses and all the things that come with being a rookie quarterback in the NFL. And just the, the size and the speed of everyone that you're against is a huge adjustment. And I'm not ready to say that he's going to be the guy but I'm certainly not about to say he's not going to be the guy. Bob, questions for Paul? Always great to hear your voice, Paul. I want to I want to get your opinion on the whole Trubisky to Pickett transition. Uh, Paul, did you expect more from Trubisky at the uh, beginning of the season? Do you think did you think that it would take a lot longer to name Pickett a starter? I mean, could have pick could Pickett have benefited from maybe starting now after watching? Trubisky. I mean, was it fair to Trubisky? Just give me your whole opinion on that transition. I don't know what they expected. Granted, he had six years of NFL experience, took two different Bears teams to the playoffs, and you know, had a modicum of success. Um, he wasn't well-loved in Chicago, so they certainly weren't sad to see him go. And with, with Justin Fields, what he's doing right now, uh, he's sort of the, the, you know, the Trubisky times two version of what they had hoped he would be. But I don't like the way Tomlin handled the whole situation. They gave Kenny Pickett zero opportunity to win the job in camp or preseason. 
they gave Trubisky all the first, you know, team reps in the preseason and then, you know, in the whole, you know, run up to the opener. And then just at a, you know, because, um, a receiver doesn't get a second foot down on the last play of the half against Jets does get that foot down. I don't know what we're looking at right now. He makes a bizarre change with Kenny Pickett at halftime. Um, he had no preparation prior to the Jets game to be ready for that game. But I think probably what the, the coaching staff saw was he's not special enough to not get our future started now. And I think they just made kind of a, I don't know, uh, a knee-jerk you know, decision to say, you know what's true? Trubisky's not taking us anywhere. Let's let's take our lumps, Kenny, and see what happens. And you know, it's like throwing some throwing your kid in the deep end of the pool. I mean, you got to swim. And you wonder why they didn't do it to start the season. Trubisky, it was just a combination of they had no running game, um, they had no imagination. They're predictable. The O line. It was just a patchwork group of guys that really didn't, you know, didn't work out at other places. So they weren't exactly dominant or overpowering in any way. So it was a hodgepodge of nothingness that was their offense. They are still statistically like dead last scoring and all the other really meaningful statistics offensively. They're still near the bottom of the pack in every category. So I think it's a, an opportunity to, to have Kenny Pickett, you know, make the adjustment to the NFL. Was it fair to Trubisky? Absolutely not. Um, you know, the guy that I really feel for uh, is Mason Rudolph. That guy never got a chance from the, from the moment he was drafted in the third round. Um, you know, Ben never really warmed up to him, never gave him any assistance, never even befriended him. Uh, that guy was never given a chance. Then they don't move him at the trade deadline. I thought, you know, there's five or six teams that would be better with, uh, with, with Mason Rudolph as their quarterback right now. I mean, he's a pretty good deep thrower and a pretty good quarterback. I mean, he's not a running quarterback by any stretch, but he's better than what I've seen from a lot of other NFL quarterbacks. But it's going to be sink or swim with Kenny Pickett. And right now, um, I'm a little concerned about his decision making, but that is, you know, part and parcel part of being a rookie in the NFL as a quarterback. Uh, and another thing, his arm doesn't light me up. I mean, the one thing that I saw mainly in two wins against Pitt many years ago for Mason Rudolph, I mean, Mason can wink. You know, that guy has an NFL arm. I'm still not convinced that Kenny has an NFL arm. And, Paul, you mentioned Tomlin, and I wanted to get your opinion on his status right now. I assume he buys another year, uh, maybe another year to come back due to the quarterback situation now and the Watt injury, make a case for a lot of things. Um, where does he stand within the organization right now? Does he have Teflon status? Um, you know, if they were to lose 10, 11 games, I mean, would it be, would it be on the fence? Tell me what the, um, the Pittsburgh brass right now thinks of Thomas. Well, I'll tell you what. In terms of job security, uh, there's not a more secure situation in America than the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They, uh, they don't move on from coaches, no. uh, unless it's extremely dire. And, you know, Bill Cowher had two straight losing seasons before he won his first Super Bowl and they never even blinked. Um, I think Mike Tomlin is 
is there pretty much as long as he wants to be. Um, you know, he's never, you know, I, I hate to even say this. It's my least favorite thing on the Tomlin resume is that, you know, never having, you know, never have had a losing season. I don't, that means nothing to me because if you look at his last 11 years, I mean, he's been, you know, above average that playoffs, you know, haven't happened for him. You know, he's had horrible losses in the postseason in the last 11 years. And a lot of people talk about, well, you know, the, the era between Bradshaw and Roethlisberger was, you know, the dead zone. But, I mean, I do a lot of research when I like to, to do shows, and I'm sure you guys love that part of it, too. That's what we love to do. If you look at the 10 years prior, 2004, and the arrival and the drafting of Ben Roethlisberger, compared to the last 10 years of Ben Roethlisberger, there was far more success um, than the 10 years prior to Ben Roethlisberger. Now, Ben's first 10 years, uh, or first eight years were pretty remarkable. You know, you get two Super Bowls and a trip to a third. I mean, that's, that's unprecedented for a franchise. But, you know, one of my buddies used to say all the time that I love the saying, get the reputation of an early riser, you sleep till noon. And everyone just kept you know, well, Ben and, you know, Ben won two Super Bowls and been to a third and Mike Thomas never had a losing season. You keep building this narrative and then you don't have anything to show for it in the postseason. And they, the last three playoff games, they've lost by over 40 points. That's, that's embarrassing for the Steelers. Right. And I mean, it really is, but you know, you know, the, the Penguins for the last four years have been first round uh, you know, disasters in the postseason. You know what? They won back to back cups in sixteen and seventeen. I'm gonna give them a little more of a of a pass. Yeah. They have championship equity that's still I think holding on a little bit with this group. But you know, Mike Sullivan, the head coach of the Penguins, I mean that's that's getting a little bit of a of a tired scenario. When you expect championships, you know, I've had so many people calling, well, you know, you know, look at Detroit or look at this or look at that. I'm like, no, no, I don't have to. I don't, I don't live in Detroit. I don't really care what, what their, you know, level of tolerance is for, you know, a head coach or a franchise. I, I don't care. You know, the Steelers every year and, you know, God bless, you know, you know, Kevin and, you know, his reign as a, as a general manager, Kevin Colbert was, if we don't win the Super Bowl, our, our season was a failure. And that's what he truly believed. So I think the, you know, the Steelers need to get back to Super Bowl or bust. Now, you guys know how the NFL is put together and you know that the salary cap and everything that goes with it. I mean, parity is going to be a big part of it. And keeping championship teams together is next to impossible. I get all of that. But you better become someone that appears or at least resembles a Super Bowl contender. And they haven't, they haven't had that look in probably, you know, 10 or 11 years. Paul, getting back to the coaching situation and not with Tomlin, but is, there's, there's no way, right? That Matt Canada's back next year, right? Even if they started to show a little bit of life, maybe they score more than 20 points a couple of times. You can't bring that guy back next year, can you? You know, it's, uh, you know, there was not one complaint about Matt Canada. Uh, on all the radio and everything that I listened to today and everything I read today. Um, it would have to be a pretty, I think, wrong finish 
offensively for him not to be, you know, looking for another job because, um, it, it happens. You know, we've all, we've all seen it in, in other cities where there's a, there's a public enemy number one and franchise can't really, I think, withstand that kind of pressure. But see that when you run the ball effectively and you don't turn it over, you play good defense, all of a sudden Matt Canada is not much of a problem. I mean, I don't think anything Matt Canada did yesterday was a problem. So he's probably going to be a victim of, you know, the beginning of the season and kind of a, you know, a rough end of Ben's career and everything that goes with that. But yeah, I think from a PR standpoint, and I, I love teams that don't really care. You know, Mike Tomlin's famous saying is, it's elevator, it's elevator music. I can hear it, but I don't listen to it. You know, all the media and the fans. He doesn't, supposedly, he's in a bunker. He doesn't pay attention to that. But I think maybe Arthur Second might have a little something to, to say about it. And the one thing that's really been embarrassing, I think, for the Steelers under Tomlin is they've never had, there's no Mike Tomlin coaching tree. There is right. one think, coach on the Steeler you know, staff right now that someone wants to hire away or that someone would see as, you know, that's someone that we could maybe hire as a coordinator. Is that someone we could hire as our next head coach? They don't have those guys. They've never had those guys. And to me, if I'm our second, uh, I'm going to have a conversation. If I'm Omar Khan, I'm going to have a conversation like, Mike, we need some, we need some new blood. We need some fresh blood. We need some young, enthusiastic, really diverse football minds to shake things up here because this isn't working. It's just not. Right. But that was a long way of saying, I don't blame Canada, but I think they're going to get their pound of flesh with him at the end of the year, I think. And speaking of, you know, the coaching staff and no one wanting to hire people away and stuff like that, we had Greg Lloyd on the show. And we've had Greg on a number of times. We'd love Greg. He's totally but, care. Yeah. With, but when you look at the level of talent the Steelers have had as players that have gone on to coach, I mean, we're seeing Heinz Ward now become a head coach in the XFL. We, Rod Woodson out there as a coach. I mean, you know, Greg obviously was a great player. You know, LeVon Kirkland, all those guys on defense that they had that were great players. None of those guys are back coaching with the Steelers. Why do you think, like, wouldn't you tap the great talent that you had. Yeah. I mean, I know not everyone's, every great player is going to be a great coach, but you would think you'd have them around guys at training camp, stuff like that. And, you know, maybe one or two of those guys, instead of Heinz Ward being a coach for the Jets as a wide yeah. receivers coach for the Steelers. The, I mean, the Joey Porter, Joey Porter experiment didn't go, uh, didn't go very well. And I don't know if that soured, uh, any other potentials, but, uh, I, I really think that. What you really want to see is, you know, the, the young, the young coaches that have come up through the ranks, whether they were great players or not. Um, you want to start developing, you know, great coaches. I mean, it's like as a parent, as a coach, you, you want to prepare someone so well that of course other people want them and you want to prepare them for their own, you know, to put up their shingle in their own place. I mean, that's, that's what you want to be developing. I mean, you look at the Randy Feetners and, you know, I mean, it's just been, it's, it's really been a below average, a very 
and here's something that, you know, I probably get in a lot of trouble, but I mention it a lot. I think the Steelers are very cheap when it comes to paying coaches, and that's probably why more often than not, you get what you pay for. <laughs> and they're very cheap, and they've been historically cheap with coaches. Is that right? Yes, very much so. There were guys, I mean, you know, uh, Clem, I forget his first name, the, the offensive coach, left in the middle of the season last year to go take a college job. Right. I mean, come on. Like, who does that? Who leaves the Pittsburgh Steelers in the middle of the season to go take a lateral move, which you would think would be a big demotion? Um, no, they're, they're very frugal when it comes to paying coaches. And, you know, they used to have, I forget, you can have like 18 coaches now in the NFL with all the, you know, the offense of this guy, you know, all the little, you know, little positions you can, you can put together. I think you can have a total of, you know, 18 paid coaches. The Steelers should have like twelve. Like they've never <laughs> even like maxed out what they could have in terms of coach. And I think that's Paul's a problem. I really agreed. do. Why, why would you not? You know, they spend the cap every year to their credit. I mean, it's not like they're cheap with players. They just gave TJ Watt eighty million dollars guaranteed. I mean, they're not. They're not, they're not the cheap at all when it comes to paying their players, but they're really on the cheap side when it comes to paying their coaches. Switching, switching gears just a little bit. And one of the things that I've been scratching my head about, and we talked about the great catch that just, Justin Jefferson had this past week against the Bills and wow. how great that was. And, but, you know, we saw George Pickens pretty darn close to having a great catch. I've, I've never seen a guy that can catch like he can, is as physical as he is, get targeted as little as the Steelers do. And I don't know if that's Kenny isn't comfortable yet throwing guys open. You know, he doesn't see, because I, I don't think Pickens early on, at least from what I've seen, doesn't look like the best route runner in the world. He's just big and physical and can go get it. But you know what? I Throw it up to him. I keep yelling, like, throw yeah. it to Pickens. Throw it up. Let him make a play for you. I, I just don't even see them targeting. It's scratching it's my head. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. And I think a lot of people equated the, you know, the Chase Claypool trade to the Bears with, Okay, more opportunity for George Pickens, but that certainly didn't happen last week. I mean, they let him run the ball for a touchdown, which is kind of cool. That was a nice play call by Matt Canada. I like that one. Um, no, I think that there's a lot of growing that needs to take place for this, this Steeler offense. And the majority of it's going to be, uh, at the quarterback position. And I, you know, I look at the, you know, the old 22, as they call it, I can find that. And see just how many wide open receivers that Kenny's missing, and if he's coming off his first, and that's like any rookie NFL quarterback. If your first read isn't open, it's panic time because you don't have time. So that's what I'm seeing. You know, the middle of the field is something that dealers have stayed away from all season, uh, and that's where you know Pat Fryermuth is, and that's a big that you're neglecting. Uh, slant, curls, uh, post. They don't run them. You know, no. They, just throw, they keep everything no. to the outside. And it, 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 it's very limited. They're, they're very predictable. I would love to play safety against the Steelers. I think even if, if I, 61 years old, with never much speed to begin with, I think I could get in the way of a couple passes playing the Steelers. <laughs> because they're just going to throw to the sideline. They don't right. use the middle of the field. They're yeah. so predictable. They don't use play action effectively. It's just, yeah, I mean, I hope. I don't know if that's Matt Canada's fault, but 
even if it isn't, I want, I want a new offense, you know, this time next year. I really do. Right. I just want to be able to watch a game the Steelers are playing and not feel like, you know, I have to lose my lunch watching them play offense. <laughs> Paul, one more before we let you go. And I got to get your thoughts on the Pirates, though, by the way. I, I know they're, they're cheap. Is, are Pirate fans ever going to have anything to root for? I mean, you, you look at this postseason. There are 18 former Pirates on the roster oh, of other teams. I mean, as long and as Nutting is the owner. How about the great pitchers that were former Pirates? Right. Uh, I mean, is, if Nutting's the owner, is that just how it is? It's, you know, they're going to win 58 games. And, and you know, when somebody gets good, they're going to end up on, you know, at the trade deadline on somebody else's team? One thing I'll say, uh, I have no idea if they're actually going to spend money when they feel it's time. And I don't know when that time is. But um, they actually have, um, if you look at it closely, which I still do, which is sometimes difficult to do, they have the makings of what could be a very formidable rotation with good young arms. I mean, that's fairly legitimate. And they have stripped it to the, you know, the studs. And if they start spending money on some, you know, reasonable free agents as some of these younger guys start to develop, uh, but they're still there. They don't have anyone that really resembles a first baseman. Uh, you know, they locked up Ryan Hayes. He's going to hit maybe 250 with 10 home runs every year, which is not what I want at third base, you know, but they have a very club friendly deal that locked him up for the next eight years or so. Um, they don't really necessarily have, you know, aside from Brian Reynolds, I don't know what they really have out in the outfield in terms of power or slugging or anything along those lines. So maybe two, three years, there might be something we might resemble what we saw in 13, 14, and 15. Uh, but right now I'm not overly optimistic, unfortunately, but they do legitimately have the makings of a pretty solid rotation and you know, they've always had a pretty decent bullpen and, you know, with Bednar and some other guys, it looks like they might have the makings of a pretty decent bullpen as well. But I don't know who's going to be driving in runs for them the next couple of years. I don't know that. Paul, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing. Listen to your shows and also follow you on social media. Yeah, it's P. Alexander 44 on Twitter. Uh, I throw a lot of stuff out on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and uh, I'm always uh, getting called into duty on the fan on the weekends and filling in during the week. So uh, I'll keep everybody posted. I'm on uh, 7 to 10 uh, Sunday morning. So get up early, have some coffee, and we'll uh, we'll talk a little Pittsburgh sports this Sunday morning. Paul, always a thrill for Bob and I to get to spend some time with you. We really appreciate you and all your wonderful support very much. Our very best to you, you Shelly, and the rest of your family. Oh, pleasure's all mine, guys. Bob, Chris, love you guys. You're the best. Same to you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Take care. All the best to you and your all family. Right. We'll catch up soon. All right. Take care, See guys. You, Paul. Have a great Thanksgiving. See you, Paul. Care. See you, Paul. That is the great Paul Alexander. Bob, I just love that guy. Every time he's on the show and even in between time, he's just the best. Yeah, he breaks it down very accurately, Chris, and we always got to throw uh, our, our usually our final question talks about the pirates, and I think we can uh, throw out that there, response right? every year, right? Isn't it incredible? <laughs> I think the pirates are at that point, Chris. Right now, they lost a hundred this year. 
But if you ask some people, they'll probably say, but it wasn't a lot more than a hundred. <laughs> that's where the pirates are at. It's, uh, but yeah, Paul, uh, Paul, I, 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 we've ran, run out of adjectives for him as far as, you know, the class, the friendship, but, uh, he is the guru of Pittsburgh sports. We're just very, very, very fortunate to have had him on for so long and so many appearances. Let's try to get him on another 27 times, Chris. Exactly right. All right, we've got our next guest, Tony Collins, hanging on the line. We're going to finally speak to Tony on the other side of this real quick station. Hear NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tail, 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 tailgate. And now back with us finally to speak with us about our five-star <laughs> picks of the week. Is former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Tony, how are you, my friend? Hi, Tony. Doing fantastic. How you doing, Chris? Well, it's been a long huh? time, man. I know. Good, it's man. been forever, my friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Can't complain. Everything is fantastic. That's what you All right, so let's talk I, I about... Want, I, want my, I want my title back. I, you, you're going to have to work hard, my friend, because as I'm going to tell you in a minute, you're you're in last place, which is where you belong, oh, no. in last place. But, you know, a lot of football left. Long um, Bob started out uh, the first week uh, blowing us both away, Tony. Went 5-0 and in, in our first week back together and talking through things. And you and I were 3-2 and two that week. And then last week, I was 3-2, and two, and the two of you were 2-3. and three. Tony, you took uh, Seattle over the Bucks, which I was surprised to see you pick them against your boy Tom Brady. What made you pick Seattle over Tampa Bay? Just the way, just the way Tampa Bay was playing, man. Their offense wasn't clicking, and and, and so now now they're clicking. <laughs> right. I, I just, Fortunately, I Bob and I better team. Bob and I took Tampa Bay and that one, so that was a win for us. We all took the Bills over the Vikings, and Josh Allen fumbled away that win for us, so that cost us. We also all missed on the Packers-Cowboys game. We all took Dallas, obviously the Packers come back and get a huge win there, so that cost us as well. Bob, you took the Rams over the Cardinals. Both Tony and I had Arizona in that one. The Cardinals are always tough on either you or me every week, Bob. Yeah, and and uh, they had no chance once once the uh, LA quarterback Stafford went down. They had no chance. And then we all had the Forty ers so that was that was a good win for us as well. So Bob seven and three, I'm six and four. Tony, you're five and five. But as we say, long way to go. Let's get into this week's games, Tone. And we're going to start out with the six and three Jets going to your five and four Patriots. Your boys are favored by three at home. One, two in a row. Are they going to make it three over the Jets? I think they will. I mean, got something clicking right now. Uh, our defense is playing very well. I think we're going to put the pressure on on the on the young quarterback. And uh, I, I just I just believe that you know we we are playing at home. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So playing at home, I, I think. I think uh, I think we're going to come out on top on this. It, it'll be a close game because I, I'm just I'm not really convinced with our offense yet. Uh, we're going to put up a lot of points, but I, I think our defense will, will play well. So I'm going uh, Patriots twenty-four to ten. Okay, Bob, who do you like? I I agree with Tony's assessment totally. Uh, I, again, it's a it's a very young quarterback 
going up against the Belichick defense. The, uh, the Patriots defense is still Belichick-like. They're, they're good. And, uh, you know, Stevenson in the, in the backfield is good. I think Mac Jones will continue to come back from the injury and, and basically the Jets just can't beat the Patriots. So I, I think it continues. How about New England 27-20? And I think it's going to be a close game too. And I'm with, I'm with you guys. I, I'm going to take the Patriots at home. I mean, the Jets, look, Jets are getting it done on defense. They're seventh in average yards allowed and they're only giving up about 20 points a game, but they, they lost to the Patriots two weeks ago, 22-17. The, the Patriots got five field goals in that game. And Zach Wilson, to your point, Bob, really hasn't impressed me. He's barely thrown for more yards than Kenny Pickett has. And he's only, he's thrown four touchdowns, five interceptions. You're going to need more than that. To beat the Patriots, but hey, look, Mac Jones isn't lighting up the league either in this second year. So I think it's going to be a defensive struggle and, uh, I'm going to give it to the Patriots in a field goal game. I like the Patriots to win 18 to 15. Tony, our second game is the six and three Cowboys that killed us last week at the eight and one Vikings. The, the Cowboys are a one point road favorite somehow going into the Vikings. They're, they're, they're a favorite. I don't get that at all. But, Tony, can the Vikings keep their charm season going by beating the Cowboys at home? I've been watching the Vikings all year. Every game, it's like, it seems like they come back in the last minute of every game they've been playing for the last two or three weeks. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you look at the Cowboys. And, uh, I mean, they got, they got, I think, one of the best defenses in, in the league uh, coming into this week. Uh, they got some ballers on defense, but man, you just, uh, you know, their, 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 their receiver Jefferson is pretty awesome. And, and, and uh, he's been yeah, making yeah. some plays. That's the catch he made, uh, last week. Uh, it, it's just incredible. So I, I, you know what? I gotta go with the Vikings. Uh, you know, they're playing at home. Cowboys, you know, I, I, I don't know what, I, you, I thought, I thought when Dak, Came back, man. They were just, 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 just rules, but they're not. And so I'm gonna go with the Vikings. Another close game again. It's gonna come down to the wire, but the Vikings gonna somehow pull it out. We're gonna go 27-24, Minnesota. Bob, who do you like in this one? Now, this is this has got to be the game of the week, and I, I think it was one of the tougher ones to pick. But you know, I, I think Minnesota just proved it to me, as I said before, Chris, going into the hostel. Buffalo environment. They made a believer out of me. I, I was on the fence, like a lot of people. Uh, but now going home after a victory like that in front of a home crowd, you know, they're healthy. Jefferson, Cook. I mean, they're, they're a good team. There's no question about it. On both sides of the ball, they have weapons and, and I just think, uh, they're going to continue. I, I think they're going to go to nine and one. I mean, I think it's going to be a good game, but I'm going to give Minnesota the edge at 30-24. And like both of you said, I mean, Justin Jefferson, that guy's unbelievable. I mean, just throw the ball in his vicinity and he's going to make the catch. And then you compliment that, Bob. You mentioned, you know, Dalvin Cook. He's eighth in the league in rushing yards. Just towards the Bills, who have the best defense in the league. He had 119 yards on 14 carries, eight and a half yards a carry average, thanks to a 81-yard touchdown run. And then you throw on top of that Justin Jefferson with 193 receiving yards against that Bills defense. Hard to stop. I mean, then the Cowboys are 29th against the run. I mean, they're giving up 143 rushing, rushing yards per game. Gave up 138 to Aaron Jones this past week. 
and then you know gave up 107 receiving yards and three touchdowns to some guy named Christian Watson for Green Bay that nobody ever heard of and comes out there and does a great job. So I'm with you guys. I'm taking the Vikings. I think they win this game 27-1. Our third game is the 5-4 and four Bengals going to my surging 3-6 and six Steelers. The Bengals are a four-and-a-half-point road favorite. Tony, if the Steelers' regular kicker hadn't been hurt last week, we'd have got over 20 points for the first time in, I think, about three seasons. They finally get T.J. Watt back. Got a little confidence, a little swagger. Any hope for my boys to win this game? Let me tell you, man. You know what? Uh, Cincinnati, it's 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 iffy with them. Just iffy. And this is a this is a rival game. And whenever Cincinnati and Pittsburgh plays, man, you're gonna see some hard hitting, uh, some good defense. Uh, with Watts coming back, he's gonna get a lot of pressure on 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 the quarterback. You know what? I I I, I love uh, Cincinnati. I I think they 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 got they got a team. That can get, get to the promised land again. They can put it all together, but they don't put it all together this week. Steelers there you go. Up to, Steelers got a 20 to 10. Defense is going to win the game. There you go, Tony. I'm glad it's going to be on tape. I can play it for <laughs> the next several days. I'm going to put that out on every social media site I can find. Tony Collins picks this deal. <laughs> Bob, tell me Tony's right. You know, I, I I don't know if I can go there because I'm going back to what Paul Alexander said, how pathetic Pittsburgh's offense is, Chris. I, I mean, uh, you could say all you want about, you know, players coming back, defense, even, you know, holding Burrow down a little bit. Um, you know, if they, if they hold Burrow to 20 points, uh, are the Steelers going to score 20? I mean, I, I don't see it happening. I, I So I... I'm going to say the Bengals go in there and uh, they're going to move to six and four on the season after this. How about the Bengals win twenty-seven twenty-one? Okay. Well, guys, obviously you know where my heart. That means Steelers defense so much better with TJ back in the lineup. And we sacked Joe Burrow seven times, picked him off four times when the Steelers beat the Bengals back in Week One. With Jamar Chase still out, it comes down to the Steelers' ability to bottle up Joe Mixon, who rushed for five touchdowns this past week against the Panthers. The Steelers' defense, though, six against the run. So, hey, we're playing well there. We held Mixon to 82 yards on 27 carries in week one. But to everybody's point, I mean, can the Steelers' offense actually find the end zone more than once in a game? I don't know. I don't know. I want to say yes. I want to pick the Steelers. But I also want to beat Tony. And get the trophy this year. So, yeah. so I, I got to go Bengals. I got to go Bengals. And I'm going to say they win a close one, 23 to 20. Our fourth game, fellas, is an AFC West battle between the seven and two Chiefs going to the five and four Chargers. The Chiefs are a seven point road favorite. Tony, Chiefs have won three in a row. They're going to make it four. I believe so. Uh, you know, you look at the Chargers, they got a great quarterback, but he's a, he doesn't have anybody to throw the ball to right now. So that's the problem, uh, with, with San Diego. And I think, uh, you know, Kansas City, uh, again, they're, they're the, they're the top in the AFC, like always. Uh, Mahomes going to have a great game. Uh, so I'm going with Kansas City 47 10. 47 10. 
Wow. There we go. There's the Tony Collins blowout <laughs> special. Gotta have it. There it is. Bob, is Tony right on that one? Yeah, I think Tony is right. I mean, you know, just looking at the charges, they've, they've given up more than they scored. And, uh, you know, Kansas City seems to be hitting on all cylinders, like I had mentioned before. You know, guys like Pacheco being, um, introduced to the offense, they, they just got too many weapons. It might be a high scoring game, you know, although Herbert, I think he's still coming back from that chest injury, Chris. Uh, but I'm going to say Kansas City, you know, just kind of cruises, uh, 38, 24. And, and I'm pretty close to where you're at. Uh, the one thing that bothers me is, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all these folks out on social media shooting down Justin Herbert. Is he overrated? I mean, come on, man. I mean, the guy's sixth in the league in passing yards, 14 mm-hmm. touchdowns, six interceptions, completing 66% of his passes. Is he overrated? Give me a break. Folks, they'd, they'd be better than five and four if their defense wasn't 30th against the run and allowing teams to rush for 147 yards against them and allowing 25 points, which is 29th in the league. But, those are all bad numbers when you've got Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs offense coming to town. So I'm with you guys. And I'm going to do a little Tony Collins blowout special. I think they win this game 38 to 20. Last game, fellas, is the Monday Nighter featuring the five and four 49ers going to the four and six Cardinals. 49ers, a seven and a half point road favorite. Tony Colt McCoy came in and played last week for an injured Kyler Murray. And uh, all he did was complete 70% of his passes for a touchdown, and they they beat the Rams. A little whisper out there that maybe it's McCoy's job now to lose. Could he cement the uh, the starting job this week by getting a big win for the Cardinals? I don't think it. I don't think it matters. The Cardinals beat the Rams. The Rams are terrible. <laughs> they are they are the worst right now. So I got to go with 49. They got too many weapons on offense right now. Uh, you know, uh, it's just, they got, a, they got a great running back. They got Samuel. I mean, you, you can put Samuel in the back, but you put him out as, uh, as, as flanker, you catch the ball. Uh, they just got too many weapons right now on offense. So I, I got to go with the 49ers, even though the Cardinals are playing at home. I, I don't, it doesn't matter right now. Hope McCoy or whoever's going to be their quarterback. Uh, so I'm going with 49ers. Uh, not a lot of, not a lot of scoring. Uh, I'm saying, 21 to 17 for the 49ers. All right, Bob, who do you like? I like the 49ers also, Chris. I, I, I think McCaffrey has infused a little excitement there and they're at the point now where there's other weapons on that offense. So McCaffrey doesn't have to take the load he did down in Carolina. I, I think that was an incredible pickup for them. They're probably the best five and four team in the world right now. So, uh, yeah, I think they cruise in this one, too. How about 49ers go in there and win 31-17? Okay. And, guys, I'm with you. I like the 49ers in this one, too. And, you know, for people who want to talk trash about Jimmy G, say all you want. But he's sixth in passer rating, has over 200 more yards passing than Lamar Jackson does, and people tell me Lamar Jackson is an MVP candidate. And the 49ers defense? Number one in, in yards allowed, number one against the run, number eight against the pass, fourth in scoring average, and oh, by the way, Nick Bosa is tied for second in the league in sacks. So that all tells me Jimmy G protects the football, and it's hard to score against your defense. You're going to win a lot of games, and they're going to win this one too. A little closer. I like the Colt McCoy thing. 49ers win it 27-24. Tony, before we let you go, remind people about your book and what you're doing with it. Yes, uh 
you can hit me on Facebook, on Tony Collins, Instagram. Just trying to get the book out, trying to help people. Tony, you're the best, my friend. We'll catch up with you again in a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving. Happy uh, holidays and Turkey Day to you and your family. Stay safe Take out there, care. my friend. Same to you guys. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, See you, Tony. That is our good friend, former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins and our five-star picks of the week. We'll get to our next guest, FAMU head coach Willie Simmons, on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, guys. no way out. All right, now back with us for a 12th time here on Thursday Night Tailgate is Florida A&M head coach Willie Simmons. Let me remind you about Willie's background. He's from Quincy, Florida. In college, he played quarterback for three years at Clemson and finished his final season at the Citadel. That 2003 season, that last year at the Citadel, he was named first team All-Southern Conference. 2006, he goes back to Clemson to start his coaching career as a graduate assistant on Tommy Bowden's staff. From 2007 to 2011, he moved over to Middle Tennessee State as the running backs coach and later took over as offensive coordinator. He spent 2014, or 2012 to 2014 as the offensive coordinator to Alcorn State before accepting the head coaching job at Prairie View A&M. And over his three seasons there, he led the Panthers to a 22-11 and 11 record. This is his fifth, fifth season as head coach at Florida A&M. He's led them to a 32-12 and 12 record so far. Willie has been a great friend of the show for many years. He's a member of our 2018 Guest Hall of Fame class. Got my FAMU t-shirt on because of how much we love and respect Willie. And I'm honored that we have him back again with us tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Coach Chris and Bob, how are you? Hi, Willie. Hey, guys. How's it going? Fantastic. Willie, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, getting ready for a big game this weekend. Obviously, it's rivalry week for us, so. Uh, taking a few time, a uh, few minutes to talk to my, my my good friends, but it's a uh, it's a huge game for us this weekend. Yeah, it is. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. And coach, you guys are eight and two, riding an eight game winning streak. You're coming off a twenty one fourteen win over Alabama State, and the coaches poll finally showed you guys some love, getting you ranked at number twenty four. So with that one game left in your regular season, talk about you know how you feeling about where your team's at. Well, you know, we started the year uh, pretty rough. Uh, we had some certification issues that were, that were uh, you know, documented nationally. Um, not, 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 don't really want to rehash that, but you know, it started the year 0-2, lost to North Carolina, up in Chapel Hill, even though the guys played, uh, you know, really tough for three quarters with the team that's, that's going to play in the ACC championship this year, and then turned around the next week down in Miami Garden um, against Jackson State and uh, took probably the worst loss. Of my coach's career, you know, uh, 59 to three and just didn't play well in any facet of the game. Uh, mentally, I think our guys were completely out of sync with everything that was going on. And we really probably had to do our best coaching job this year, just being able to get those guys back focused and locked in on everything that we had to do and not really worried about the, the external factors that were prohibiting us from being able to, to play good football. And uh, we were able to reel them back in, really start practicing, uh, better and, doing the things that it takes to be successful. Uh, and then because of that, we're on the eight game winning streak. Uh, we currently both the nation's second longest home winning streak, uh, at 15 games. You know, we're one behind Montana State. And, um, you know, again, right there on the cusp again of another nine win season and hopefully another playoff for the second year in a row. So really excited about the team. Uh, they're very, they're a very resilient bunch. They're a close group of guys. 
And uh, this has probably been one of my most fun years coaching because of the things that we've had to overcome. And I'm just proud of the guy for continuing to fight. And coach, the, the FCS has a 2014 playoff tournament bracket and you're vying for an at-large bid right now. Do you think if you guys beat Bethune-Cookman on Saturday that that's going to be enough to get you in? Well, I would certainly hope so. Um, you know, you look at the fact that that would be another nine-win season. Uh, we would have eight um, FCS wins. Uh, and then our only two losses would be to a nationally ranked North Carolina squad that, again, is going to play for the ACC championship. Uh, and then a Jackson State team that's undefeated and ranked in the top five in, 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 uh, in one poll and top ten in another poll. So uh, we have two losses against really quality football teams. Uh, and then we beat everyone else, you know. So, again, I, I don't know if you can penalize a team for winning the games that they're supposed to win because we were underdogs in those two games and we were favored in the other one. And uh, so we've pretty much done what the prognosticators thought, right? And so, uh, to me, that means that you, you, you're eligible and that you're not eligible, but that you're, um, you know, that you're deserving of one of those at-large bids. So I, I just hope that the nation has kind of taken notice as to how this team wins. Uh, maybe not the sexy wins that, you know, the blowout wins, but, We've, we've come from behind. We've won on the road. Uh, you know, we've maintained a, a winning streak. That's the second longest in the country. We have the reigning Buck County Award winner and a defensive end Isaiah Land. We have the third lead receiver in the country uh, and wide receiver Xavier Smith. Uh, and so, again, we're a very well-rounded football team. And we've shown over the last five years been here that, we, that we're consistent, right? This will be our third consecutive nine-win season uh, if we win this game this weekend. So I think there's something to be said about that. And speaking of the game coming up against Bethune-Cookman on Saturday, they're struggling a bit this season. Lost a lot of close game, but this is the Florida Classic, one of the biggest rivalry games in all of college football. FAMU was on the wrong end of that rivalry for nine straight years until last year. And as they say, this is more than a game, it's an experience. Talk about what makes this game so special. Well, you know, the one thing that makes Special is that we are the the, the two the only two uh, Division One HBCUs in the state of Florida, and um, you know so the, a huge majority, a vast majority of of, of black and brown graduates uh, in the state of Florida, you know, are from one of these two institutions, and so you know their family ties. You, know, you have their husbands and wives that are ones a rattler, ones a wildcat. You have siblings that one went to fan, one went to Bethune. You have church members co-workers, you name it, um, you know, the, the bragging rights from this game are just as intense as any other rivalry out there. Florida, Florida State, Clemson, South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, you know, Jackson State, Alcorn, Southern Grambling, you name it. Uh, this is this is a very, very intense rivalry that people will talk about for 364 days until we do it again next year. And so, again, the pageantry behind the game, it's obviously played in Camping World Stadium down in Orlando. Uh, there'll be over 50,000 50, fans there. Uh, every year is one of the most heavily attended games in FCS every year. And uh, it, it's just a game that if you haven't been a part of it or ever experienced it, uh, you definitely owe yourself uh, that, that opportunity to come down and, and, and uh, attend the Florida Blue Florida Classic. And really, FAMU is fighting for you guys to host the first playoff game. If you guys get in, how big would that be for the school, the team, the city of Tallahassee to host a playoff game? Uh, it would be huge. Uh, one for the city of Tallahassee. You know, the, we're, we're the capital city here in Florida. Uh, we have two prominent institutions. Um, Florida State has their big rival game that Friday before against the University of Florida right here at Dope Campbell Stadium, which is literally a, a mile and a half from our campus. 
Uh, and then to have two games of that magnitude in the city in back-to-back days would just do wonders uh, as far as economic impact. You know, again, we're riding the nation's second longest home win streak. So, again, the, our guys just crank it up a notch playing here at home. And, again, I think it gives us a great home field advantage. Uh, but just, again, the opportunity to highlight and showcase this amazing institution on a national stage, a uh, first-round playoff game, is something that, again, is too good to pass up. So, you know, we submitted our bid. Obviously, the first part of that is getting into the playoffs. Uh, and then we're able to secure the bid to host. Uh, again, I think we'll do wonders for our program, our university, uh, as well as our city. Bob, questions for Willie? Always great to have you back, Coach. And, and Willie, uh, when I'm when prepping for this interview, I uh, you had mentioned Xavier Smith, and that's one player that stood out when I was going through the roster. I mean, this is a guy who's had, I believe, five or six hundred-yard games. He's going to probably go over a thousand for the year. Um, very special guy, coach. I mean, graduate student, not a big guy at all. Tell us more about him. He just seems like a very special player and, and a great kid to boot. He really is. You know, one of the, the things obviously when you coach football, especially as a head coach, you know, you have the opportunity to see guys completely transform their lives. You know, Xavier Smith, um, six years ago was not in college. His first year out of high school, he did not attend the college. He, he didn't get accepted into any schools. He didn't play football anywhere. He worked at Amazon. Uh, and then he, uh, I, I think his mom applied him to school and, uh, he got accepted in FAMU. He's a legacy kid. His mom went to school here. His older brother, Kareem, uh, was currently on the football team here. And, uh, so he came not knowing he was going to play football, uh, not getting a preferred walk on opportunity, but just said, Hey, I'm going to just try out. And, uh, he tried out, he made the squad, he redshirted that first year in 2017, uh, the year before we got here. Uh, and then when we got here in 18, uh, first practice, he was a second team wide receiver because we didn't know who he was. And the next practice, he was a starter because we thought that we had something special in him as far as his talent. But I mean, he's one of the hardest working young men that I've ever coached. Uh, his, his toughness is second to none, his will to win, uh, his, his attitude. I, I, five years, I've never seen him have a bad day. He just comes to work every day. If it's sunny outside, raining outside, cold, hot. It doesn't matter. He's just going to go full speed. And this year, he's really stepped into the role as a leader, you know, the, the unquestioned vocal leader of his football team. So just to see his growth and maturation over these last five years is, is truly special. And he could have uh, come out last year and declared for the draft, but he decided to finish out his college career right here and do something special. And uh, he's, you know, right there at the cusp of leading the nation in reception. And uh, we're definitely going to try to do our best job to see if he can, uh, you know, overtake the, the nation's leader this weekend. But just one of those rare gems, and we're going to miss Xavier Smith when he leaves this program uh, because he's one of those unicorn type players that you don't that you don't see every year. And as far as the recruiting uh, at FAMU, uh, Willie, I mean, we had talked to you a few years ago. Uh, you know, you've been there a while now, and the recruiting process is in place. Um, have you been able to? Ex- extend that process, reach better communities, um, extend it geographically. Talk about the recruiting, and uh, you must be very proud because uh, it seems like you're getting guys that you want. Well, obviously, recruiting uh, is the lifeblood of any program, right? You know, we're, we're much better coaches when we have good players, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, our ability to go out and attract, uh, you know, top-tier student-athletes, is really what makes our program what it is, you know, and I, I took my hat to our coaching staff uh, for identifying and, and being aggressive and how we, uh, you know, recruit these young men. We're not, we're, we don't shy away 
from going after three, four, five-star talent. And we want to get those guys on campus and show them that they can accomplish all of their goals right here at FAMU just like they can anywhere else. Uh, and we've been extremely blessed over the years to get our fair share of, of top-tier talent, you know, aside from Xavier Smith and Isaiah Land. You know, we have guys that were three stars, four stars, and even a couple of five stars out of high school. And so, again, our profile is growing. Um, I think a lot of that is attributed to the, the, the notoriety that the Southwestern Athletic Conference is getting lately. Uh, and, again, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize the job that, that Coach Prime has done at Jackson State and the awareness that he's brought to, to HBCUs. You know, we've always had really good players. We've always had great coaches, but we just didn't have the national recognition. And because of what he's been able to do there with his marketing, you know, him being prime time, uh, people are taking an eye. And so now they see the product that we have. And I think young men across America, not just in the Southeast, but uh, across America, uh, are really considering what it would look like if, if they brought their talent to HBCUs. And we're excited about the future of our conference. And I'm really excited about the future of HBCU football. Willie, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, some of your players. And for the folks who aren't familiar with your quarterback, Jeremy Musa. Here's a guy completing 56% of his passes, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, a kid who played last year at Vandy. Talk about what you're seeing from him. Well, Jeremy's a kid, like you said, we got from Vanderbilt. Uh, he's a California kid, uh, you know, Chino Hills, uh, you know, played junior college football out there, signed out of high school, University of Hawaii. Uh, and that's junior college, you know, spent two years at Vanderbilt. You know, hadn't played a lot of football at Vandy. And so we brought him here. He obviously wants to you know, go somewhere where he would have a chance to win a job and compete. And uh, and he's really done a solid job for us. You know, he's had some really good games. Um, you know, he's had some struggles at times, obviously, which, you know, kind of is a part of the learning curve when you haven't played football really in two years. Um, but, again, he's the unquestioned starter. He's the unquestioned leader of this football team. And, and when he's in there, he gives us the best chance to be successful. Uh, he's got a bright future. Uh, Jeremy has another year in his program, another year in our system. And the more football he plays, uh, the more the game will slow down for him, but he's got a big time, he's got big time ability, great uh, arm talent, very accurate with the ball, very smart individual. Obviously, he got his undergraduate degree from Vanderbilt University, so you got to be pretty smart to do that. And just a great kid, you know, really wants to do do well, works hard, and uh, I definitely think Jeremy's uh, best football is ahead of him. And Willie, FAMU has had a lot of great athletes come out of there over the years. Over on the baseball side, Vince Coleman, Andre Dawson, Hal McCray played baseball there. Football alumni include Bob Hayes, Nate Newton, Ken Riley, one of the all-time greats there. Talk about what it means to be able to put on the FAMU uniform. Well, that was the first thing that I wanted to do when I took the job. You know, My first goal was to make sure that these young men that we coached understood uh, the significance uh, of being a, a FAMU rapper. You know, we are the number one public agency in America, you know, have have been that for a very long time. So the academic uh, the, the degree you get from here has value. It means something. Uh, we're currently the number 103rd ranked public institution nationally. So we're right on the cusp of being a national top 100 institution. And so, again, you, you, you somewhere where you can go places, you know, not just athletically, but uh, in the classroom. And then when you talk about our academic prowess, you name some of them, you know, but then you got people like Althea Gibson. You know, and, and so again, our history, uh, I think you can put it up with, against anybody in the country as far as the athletes that have come through here, their impact on the collegiate game and even the professional game. So, you know, I really want our guys to understand, you know, what they're part of because when they do that, I, I think they play a little bit harder. I think it means a little bit more to them and, and they know how much route the, 
nation loves and appreciates the job that they do. So that's definitely something that we're, we're very proud of here. And if you're able to, able to come into Tallahassee and come by our facility, uh, you'll see those individuals, you know, plastered around our facility for, for our guys to be reminded of it daily. And coach, one of the things that we talk about every time you come on the show, and one of the things that Bob and I love and respect about you the most is what you do with your players away from the football field and what you teach them and how to be a positive influence in their communities. Talk about that again. Well, I think one of the, the, the platform, I mean, I think the platform that we have as athletes, as coaches, you know, here primarily in the South where football is, for all intents and purposes of second religion, you know, what are we doing with that platform? And for our men, you know, we encourage them to, to use that visibility, to use that notoriety for good. You know, let's help impact this South Side community. You know, family was housed on the South Side of Tallahassee. And, and, you know, of course, most times when you're on the South Side, that's the underserved community. And so, you know, our guys, uh, just today, you know, went out to middle schools and elementary schools and, you know, had lunch with students and were able to read to students. And again, these guys are like rock stars when they walk into these schools. You know, these young elementary students and middle school students, you know, they, they know about family. You know, they know who Xavier Smith is. They know Isaiah Land. So to see those guys that they kind of view the same way they view NFL players, <laughs> to walk into their school, sit down and have lunch with them, see the look on those young, young people's faces is just, you know, words can't describe it. And so we definitely want to make sure that we continue to empower these young guys, uh, make them understand what their mission is, overall mission, not just to be a football player, but to be a productive citizen, to be someone that can initiate change in our community, you know, because these are our future leaders of tomorrow, and, and most of them get their start right here on this campus. So we, we're always going to be a program that pushes these guys to be more than just athletes. You know, it's a cliche, but they are. There's so much more than football players, and uh, we, we definitely want to make sure that they understand that every time they get up and walk into this, hall, into this building, uh, that their, their mission is, is far beyond what they do on the playing field on Saturday afternoon. Well, I love that. Love that so much, Coach. Before we let you go, Willie, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with the great things you're achieving there at FAMU and follow the program, whether it's online or it's on TV, like this weekend's game is going to be, and then on social media, too? Well, obviously, all of our games are uh, on ESPN3, sometimes ESPNU, uh, ESPN2, because of our contract with with ESPN through the SWAC. Uh, But as far as social media, you know, you follow us online, uh, FAMU Athletics. Uh, and then FAMU underscore football, uh, for specific news regarding our program. Um, you can follow me at HC as in head coach, uh, Willie Simmons, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Snapchat. Um, I'm on, I have a TikTok account, but you won't see me dancing on it. <laughs> but, you know, again, I, uh, try, trying to stay hip. You know, I just, I just, I got it maybe a month ago and I'm still trying to figure out how to work it. You know, my wife tried to make me do a dancing TikTok for Halloween. So. <laughs> still, still working on that, but uh, but no, H.C. Willie Simmons on uh, all social media platforms, and then uh, Facebook is my name, Willie R. Simmons. So uh, follow us. We're very active on social media. We are one of the top universities um, when they run the numbers as far as uh, social media impact. Uh, I think we're top twenty-five, and that's all divisions. That's not just FCS. That's Great. all divisions. So so wow. us and Jackson State are the only two uh, HBCUs in, in the national top twenty-five as far as social media interaction. Well, Willie, you know how much you mean to both Bob and I. We're always in your corner. We're always rooting for you. We wish you continued success. Looking forward to watching the game this weekend, and we hope that uh, we get the privilege of having you back on the show again soon. 
Well, hey, guys, I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing a, a picture of that, of that T-shirt you got on, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> I'm get it up I, there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we will absolutely post those pictures. I promise you will. But, all right, guys. Thank you, guys. Good I luck, Coach. It. Take care, Coach. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. That is the head coach of FAMU, Florida A&M University, Willie Simmons. Bob, I love that. Everything about that guy just oozes class and knowledge and He's just a wonderful human being. And, um, like we say, you know, he's a great football coach. He's a 10 times better human being. Yeah. And, and it always comes up, Chris, how, uh, he knows that his main job is to mold young men. And I don't know if anybody does it much better. You know, he's, he's still a young nope. guy kind of at heart. Uh, when, when you look at his coaching career and I, I'm just amazed at his, his family life. I mean, he's got a huge family, Chris. He's got six children. How he keeps it together, the recruiting trail, uh, that is, that is a picture of a man who, if anybody has doubts of what they can do, you look at his kind of life and, uh, what he does, how he does not, uh, do anything in, 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 in a small way as far as put attention on things. I mean, his family comes first and, but uh what he's doing on the football field right now, Chris, the eight wins in a row, I believe, I mean, that's, that's right. pretty special. And uh, he'll always be welcome on this show as long as he's coaching. That's- nah, without a doubt. Kickoff of the Florida Classic is Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern yeah. Time at Camping World Stadium in Orlando. ESPN3 is broadcasting the game. Record books go out on, on this one. And uh, yeah. everything is going to be on the line for, for FAMU, and I couldn't be rooting harder for Willie and the rest of the team. All right, we've got our final guest of the night, Richmond Webb, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Richmond on the other side of this real quick station. This is Reggie Kelly, former Cincinnati Bengals and Atlanta Falcons tight end, and you're listening to TNT Thursday Night Tailgate. Brace yourself for the explosion. All right, now back in making his 13th appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Miami Dolphins Pro Bowl left tackle and TNT guest Hall of Famer, and we hope future pro football Hall of Famer. We'll talk about that in a minute. And that's Richmond Webb. Let me remind you about Richmond's background. He's from Dallas, Texas, played his college ball at Texas A&M, where he was named All-Southwestern Conference in 1989. He was also a team captain that season and winner of the Aggie Hart Award. He was a part of two Southwestern Conference uh, championship teams in 1986 and 87. A first-round pick, the ninth overall selection by the Miami Dolphins in 1990. He played left tackle in the league from 90 to 2002 with the Dolphins and the Bengals. Set a Dolphins record with 118 consecutive starts as an offensive lineman, folks. Selected to seven consecutive Pro Bowls from 1990 to 96. Named the AFC Rookie of the Year in 1990. Also named to the NFL's All-Decade Team for the 90s. He was inducted into the Dolphins. Uh, honor roll in 2006, a member of our 2017 Guest Hall of Fame class, and our fingers are crossed that he's going to be in Canton this time next year, and we're very excited to have Richmond Webb back as part of the show. Hey, Richmond, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Bob, Chris, how y'all doing? We're fantastic, Richmond. How are you? You know, I'm doing good. I got back home yesterday and had an opportunity to go to Miami to watch Watch the football game and play the Browns. They had an awesome game. We won. So, uh, got back yesterday, but I'm, I'm feeling good. So everything's going good with me. 
And you led led the chant too. I saw the video out there leading the chant for the Dolphins. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah, as long as they make put a skirt on, I don't mind what a cheerleader. And Richmond, you are finally a nominee for the Hall of Fame. We've been clamoring for it for years. It's at least a step in the right direction. How do you feel about finally getting that level of recognition? You know, Chris, it feels good. You know, uh, you know, I, like you said, this is my 13th appearance on this show and, and y'all always, you know, been at the forefront of promoting and tweeting and asking that question, you know, why I hadn't been in the conversation. So, um, I'd like to thank you guys, but it's been so many people that's been speaking on my behalf and hopefully they're starting to listen. But, uh, it's, it's definitely truly it puts a smile on your face. Um, when you get mentioned with some of the guys is, you know, the best in the game, you're being mentioned with those guys. So it's definitely an honor. Richmond, I want to get your thoughts. You mentioned about the Dolphins this season. And if you go back a few weeks, they had lost three in a row without Tua. Probably should have lost four in a row if my Steelers defensive backs knew how to catch. But they get, they get that game. They get, they beat the, the Lions a, a few weeks back and then they go on to beat the Bears and then obviously blowing out the Browns this past Sunday. So they're, they're at the top of the AFC East, half a game ahead of the Jets and the, and the, uh, and the Bills. Is this Dolphins team for real? You know, I believe it is. I, I think that the key to it is like you said a few weeks ago, we, we went on a three game losing streak and it, um, you know, two attacks below, he's just been playing amazing. Uh, the offensive line has made great strides from last year. And then with the addition of Tyreek Hill slash Mr. Cheetah, uh, he came in from Kansas City and, uh, you know, his work ethic, you know, he's a leader, captain on this team, but, um, I think he's made a huge difference. And, uh, Coach McDaniel with his offensive system, I think it fits to her and, um, Jalen Waddle. So we got weapons on offense. Typically, we would normally be in a position where the defense would have to kind of carry the team. But now, the last couple of before this game, the, the offense is basically going to have to outscore the Bears and Detroit for us to win those games. So it's refreshing at times, and we got a lot of injuries as well in the secondary. But once those guys get back, hopefully we'll be ready for this second half. We got to buy this week. And then, you know, get ready for the second half and hopefully make some noise. But I definitely think they are for real. It's just, you know, as long as we don't get hit with the, with the injury, we definitely got a legitimate shot to make the playoff. And Richmond, you, you mentioned Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle. You played with two of the best wide receivers in Dolphins history and Mark Clayton and Mark Duper. Now the Dolphins have both of these guys and Hill and Jalen Waddle. Talk about playing with Clayton and Duper, and then what you're seeing now from Hill and Waddle? Well, it, you know what I, um, like you said, I played with Clayton and Duper, and the, the thing, they're both about, all, all four of them about the same size as far as height. Um, you know, Duper was a speedy receiver, but um, with Jalen Waddle and, and Tyree Kill, you know, uh, it's hard to try to game plan one, because if you Double one, the other one opens up. Both of them are, I think Tyreek is the fastest, but Jalen is just a step behind him. So the speed that we have on offense, I think it creates, uh, issues for defensive coordinators. And, you know, that's why they've been able to get open 
and uh, make the plays and lead the league in, in receptions. But I think the beauty of it is that they're playing as a team. Uh, I see a lot of unselfish play. It doesn't matter who makes the plays. Um, you know, it's not about an individual. It's about the team. And it's always refreshing, regardless of what the team is. But when you see players put the team first instead of individual statistics, and that's what I'm saying so far. It's been refreshing. I think that's another huge reason of why they're having the success they're having right now. Bob, questions for Richmond? Uh, it's always great to hear your voice, Richmond, again. And and as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, having come back from the game this weekend, you know, there's a lot of pictures on social media that you took with fans and everything. And I know Richmond, uh, you know, as an athlete and as a as a celebrity in a way, that can be draining on some people. It, it can get to some ex-athletes. But then again, a lot of them embrace it. You know, I guess it depends who you are, where you are, where you live. seems to me that um, you have a good spin on this, that you're really, really into the people that want to be around you. And uh, it seems like you were really happy to meet a lot of these people. No question. And, and you're right, Bob. You know, a lot of these people I interact with on social media, and to actually be able to put a name to a face, you know, I've been guests on some of the podcasts, this and that. But, you know, what I try to let people know is that, you know, I've had my time in, in, in the bright light. So now I'm just a fan, um, just like they are. So we have a common goal. We root for the same team. But to, uh, and I, and I just love being around people. As long as you, you know, you good people, this and that, we can chat and talk and this and that. And, so it was good for me. I hadn't been down this year. I was trying to make it down for the Steelers game, but I wasn't able to make it. But to get down and then go to a tailgate, just hang out with those people and take pictures. And I was just as happy to meet a lot of them as they were me. So they, they made my day and that was special. And then like, like you guys said, you know, getting a chance to lead the chant, you know, right before the game, this and that and seeing a bunch of my former teammates and, you know, guys, trainers and equipment guys. You know, guys, I've known for over 30 years, but you go back, it just brings back good memories. So, um, it, it's special to me when, when you can interact and then when you meet people that, you know, you talk to. I just love people and, and I just try to treat people how I want to be treated. And they got a blast out of it, but I got a blast out of it as well. So, um, yeah, I, I embrace it and I, I just love people. So it, it was good for me. And you mentioned to, uh, Richmond, and, and we know the beginning of the season uh, was tough, you know, with the injuries and the controversies surrounding concussion-like things, and and does it seem to you like that puts a little pressure on the offensive line to, to protect him better? Maybe that's uh, something that has made them better. I know back in the day with you and Marino, it was kind of like an unspoken thing. Don't let anybody hit Marino. I know when I was a kid, it was like, don't let anybody hit Namath. Uh, is that, is that kind of the mentality out there? You just, uh, some guys uh, get more protection than others, I guess. Yeah. And, and you're right, Bob. I think it was Cincinnati game. He, he kind of, it, it looked like a, a concussion in the Buffalo game. He kind of got up and stumbled and, but he was able to finish the game. And then when they played in, uh, Cincinnati that, the Thursday night game or whatever, but it was when he got hit, you know, they had caught him off the field. That was, I think when 
everybody, you know, that was watching that game saw that it did look good. And I think the league really stepped up and said, hey, we got to do something about this. And they're really calling it uh, close. I just saw where um, a quarterback from the charge, Keith Herbert was running, and he got hit. The thing is, quarterback, you got to learn to slide. And that's the thing with Tua. Sometimes he would hold on trying to make that play. And then he, I think the first game back, he shook and tried to go head on with somebody. And I was like, oh no, please slide, slide. And, uh, but, but the league is trying to do, you know, with the safe protocols to try to protect players and this and that. But you got to be smart. Got to understand that you're not going to be able to take every drive and score a touchdown on field goals. And, and sometimes you just got to play for field position and all that. And I think he's learning that. And I, I've seen him slide a couple of times. I hadn't seen him take off and run and, and continue to be as aggressive or, you know, not slide and snap. So I think he's learning. I think he, he understands that how important he is to the success because the huge drop off, um, when he's not in there. So, um, I think it's just a maturity thing where he, he kind of sees it now and hopefully he continues to, you know, try to stay healthy. But man, those concussions are serious. And, and a lot of time as a young man, you don't really think about it. But once you retire and, you know, you see some of the guys that played even with me or older and you see the issues they have, that's when they start to show up. And when you're young, you think, you know, you kind of invincible because I was there at that at time and kind of thought the same way. But, most definitely, offensive line definitely got to, you got to protect your quarterback because you see how valuable he is to the team. And I agree. Yeah. So those guys should, should have a little extra added pressure or weight to say, Hey, we got to keep this guy clean and let's keep him standing because, you know, he's a key to a lot of our success. So yeah, I agree with you on that. Richmond, as one of the best offensive linemen in the history of the game, a boy, my Steelers could use a great offensive line coach. Did you ever think about? Being a coach, get, getting into offensive line or whatever, you know, wherever it might fit best for you. Obviously, you know, the, as a great left tackle, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teams out there that could use a, a, a tutor like you to teach a, a left tackle how to, how to block properly and how to pass protect and how to run block. You ever consider thinking about getting into coaching at all? Uh, I, I thought about, you know, uh, Chris, I actually thought about what this was. Probably ten years ago, I had thought about getting into scouting and um, looked at a couple of opportunities, but it was the time commitment, and I had girls and they were young, and um, at the time I didn't want to be away from my family because it, it, it is a true commitment. If you're gonna do it, you got to do it, and I just said I love the game, but I couldn't make that commitment because I said I need to be here for my family, you know, help with the girls and stuff like that. So I thought about it then. I really had thought about it now. So I, I just love being a fan now. But um I do watch the offensive line play, this and that, and uh always enjoy when, you know, you got a good matchup uh against a really good defensive front and then the offensive line kinda holds up and holds their own. I I, I like games like that. So uh I'm just enjoying being a fan. I thought about it years ago but now kind of got a little older. I said, nah, I'll probably be falling asleep and meeting and stuff. I don't want to be doing that. So. <laughs> I probably couldn't keep that job too long now, guys. I'm like, I used to wake him up back there. <laughs> Richmond, last week, 
we had Greg Lloyd on the show and we were talking about Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. And Greg said, when you're drafted in the first round, you're drafted to help the team right now. Not sit, watch, learn, play later. No, you're drafted to come in and make an impact right now. And you were a first round pick. Did you feel the pressure to not only step in and play right away? You also had the, uh, the, uh, responsibility, like Bob said earlier, protect the blind side of a guy who is clearly on his way to being a Hall of Fame quarterback in Dan Marino. What was it like for you to step in as a first round pick? Yeah. I think anytime you're a first round pick, you always want to prove that you're not a bust. And, you know, you always hear about the guys that don't necessarily pan out or, or meet expectations, uh, for when they're drafted that high. And, uh, you're right. I, I had pressure and, you know, it was kind of unheard of that not only me, that, you know, Keith Sims was drafted in the second round and Coach Shula made a decision to put two rookies starting side by side on the blind side of the quarterback. So that was, that was unheard of, but it was probably one of the, the best things for me because we just got along. We just clicked naturally. But, uh, a lot of key to my success was, and I think what a lot of, uh, first round picks is if you can get your contract negotiated and not have a long holdout, um, you get the rep, get the time, uh, you can adjust to the speed of the game because it is a little faster. You know, you're playing against grown men. Some guys get there your first year. Some guys have been playing seven, eight years. It's not so they know all the tricks of the trade, but it, it, it gives you a chance to adjust to the speed, learn the offenses and that to where once you know the terminology in your plays, you don't have to think you can just kind of react. So it's a lot in going through. Uh, training camp, the, the installation is every day. So if you miss most of the training camp, you can almost say you're not going to play much because they don't go back and, and kind of install it. And that's why a lot of guys get labeled, you know, a bust or he really didn't work out. Where if he held out all the training camp, most of the time he's not going to play much. So, um, I think that's one of the keys is trying to get contract negotiations done, get that guy in early. Now it's even more important because when I played, we did two days, but now they're going to do two days, one a day. So, um, getting that, getting and learning the offensive terminology, this and that, and, and learning to work with the guys, especially as offensive linemen, dealing with those guys, um, is, is vastly important. So that was one of the things I think why I had success. And I had a great offensive line coach, John Sanders. And Richmond, talking about the terminology. Was it challenging to come in and learn an NFL playbook and all the new terminology? It was, it was challenging. Uh, some of the plays are the same, but maybe you called it, um, something different in college. So that's kind of the way I would call it. I said, Oh, that's what we used to call it there. And, but some of it, it, it wasn't. So you learn it. And then once you learn it, um, you know, you got to go back and study because we would install plays in the morning have a break, lunch, lay down for a little bit, come back, have another practice and install more new plays. So every day you had to like study in between practice, after practice. And it was, you know, just long, grueling days. Being a rookie and you, you don't go through like six weeks or two days in college. So it was, that was an adjustment, you know, with all that. So they said, Hey, you're getting paid now. You're, <laughs> you got to earn your keep around here. But, but I think the big thing is that. 
and you want to show that, you know, hey, you were worthy of that pick that the, that the uh, team decided to take you at because, you know, your teammates are looking and say, okay, this guy does the real deal or whatever. Yeah, he's good in college, but can he be great? And then, like you said, Chris, you know, when I, when we and Keith got there, Moreno was already a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, and the thing that stuck in my head was, I don't want to be remembered as the guy that gets this guy hurt because if you do, you'll, you'll, you'll always be remembered, not in a positive way. So that was motivation enough for me. And uh, that's what kind of kept me. It's like, man, I got to get this down because it's, it's no way I'm going to let this guy get hurt because I, I, you know what I'm saying? You just, I just didn't want to be remembered that way. Bob, one more for Richmond before we let him go. Sure, Richmond. I mean, Chris had alluded to it before about your Ironman status, having played, you know, an incredible amount of consecutive games and, and, and playing full seasons basically right into your thirties. Now, I know there was days back then in the nineties that's a little bit different than it is now as far as guys playing banged up. You were probably hurt. No one can not play how you did and not be hurt at times, but you played anyway. Uh, uh, you know, it, it just seems that you know, you have to be genetically gifted in a way also. And in, in, in addition to being, being able to play with pain. Um, but comment on that. I mean, there were probably times, uh, you went out there when you weren't at a hundred percent, but that was probably just your mentality. And, uh, I'm sure the team kind of felt the same at the time. Yeah, it, it was, it was a different game, uh, back then. The game has changed and, uh, you know, uh, I did an interview one time and got to it. Um, have you ever had a concussion? I probably have, but, you know, back then you just tried to shake it off. You know, you might get dazed a little bit or whatever, but if, if they took you out the game, that was almost like showing a sign of weakness. So it was, we didn't really understand what it was, I would say back then, but it was just, you know, you had to be tough and you found a way you can play with, with, uh, how do, how do we say? You can play with pain. You can't play if you know if you're injured. You got something seriously, but um, you can you you kind of manage it, and then you may have to compensate by doing this. But if it was a way you could get out there and help your teammates win, that that was the mentality, and that's what you wanted to do because we had a common goal was to win and try to get to the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, it was just part of the job. You learn how to do it, and you know. I just love my teammates and I think they love me and, and, you know, I wasn't the only guy that, that had that, that type of mentality. And I think that's why we had a lot of the success that we did have. But, um, just fortunate for the time that I was able to play, you know, 13 years is a long time and, uh, kind of look back and still, like I said, when I see the old teammates and we kind of joke about the good old days, it's always good to reflect back. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's tough, but yeah, it, it just comes with territory. So, um, like you said, you got to be a little gifted. You got to take care of your body and just, you know, you manage what you can, but you try to find a way to get back out there and help your team. Richmond, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with you and follow you on social media? Chris, uh, mainly I'm on Twitter. Um, my name is Richmond Webb. Facebook, I'm Richmond Webb. And then I, I have an Instagram account and it's, I had to actually put at the real Richmond web because somebody had my name. I could not believe somebody had my name. Richmond <laughs> web. 
<laughs> I think it was a lady. I, I don't know. I said, okay, well, you got it. Let me come up with something different. So on on, on Instagram, I'm uh, the real Richmond Web, but everywhere else, I'm Richmond Web on Facebook and, and Twitter. And that's the easiest way to find me. Most of the time, I'm on Twitter more than anything. And I see you guys post, and I appreciate on Sundays. Um, Chris, you sending out and include me in the group. And then, you know, Bob sends out the, uh, the birthday wishes to, you know, professional athletes. I, I love that. I jump on that. Uh, also, he's a big dog lover. We have a dog. We got a Rottweiler, but, uh, he's big into that. Some of those pictures he posts of nature and all that. I'm like, man, he, he's in a beautiful spot. I don't know where he at. I know you're up north. He's somewhere. Beautiful we get out there, there Richard. Yeah, we get out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's what I'm talking about, buddy. <laughs> Richmond, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. We love and respect you so much. Really enjoy every time you're a part of the show. You make this segment outstanding. Thank you so much for being here as often as you have been. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate it. I love you guys, too. And, and Bob, I'll be looking for those birthday wishes in the morning. <laughs> You'll get them. You know you will. Yeah, you will. <laughs> All right. Richmond, I'll talk to you guys take later. Take care. See you, that is the great Richmond Web. Bob, I tell you, I, I will never have celebrated anything as much as the day that guy gets enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, I just think in the same way. I mean, what has it been? Ten years, Chris? We've been on this incredible. Right. I wouldn't even call it a bandwagon. I mean, this is overdue. The guy's a Hall of Famer. And I said ten years ago on this show, if we, we get the lost tapes, you know, I, I won't sleep well. Until right. this guy is can, and I'm tired now, Chris. You know, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, let's 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 end this because uh, you know, you look at his numbers and and who he played with and who he played for and who he protect. I, we can go on and on. Let's not even do that right now. But it's a, it's overdue. Let's have it happen now. Let's yes. get some sleep finally and uh, put this <laughs> to rest because uh, you know he's been such a devoted family guy. He deserves Hall of Fame recognition. But more than that, Chris, you know, not to make light of anything, but he is a better man than he was a player. Uh, we just love him. He, he's probably yep. one of our best friends of any guest. And, yep. um, what can we say? I mean, we're, we're, we're just gifted to be around that guy. That's exactly right. And he should definitely have a Boston Canton. And I'm hoping that a year from now, we're celebrating that with him. So Amen. kudos to Richmond Webb. All right. When Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Here are two more great stories about guys out there making a positive impact on their communities. We'll do it on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, we are back here on Thursday night tailgate, turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you spotlighting this week? You know, Chris, I'm going to... Keep the focus on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, this week, you know, I was doing some research on, again, uh, we mentioned last week the NFL Salute to Service campaign. And uh, each team, you know, has a representative. What I think is pretty cool about that whole campaign, Chris, it could be a current player. It can be a former player. It can be an executive. Just somebody that has to do with an organization. And, again, you could vote for this. But, every, but if you go to the uh, – the Kansas City Chiefs 
website. I mean, they recognize their nominee this year is running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Chris, I, I, I found his story pretty amazing. You know, his mother joined the Army in 1996, and his stepfather, he had enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1989. So this guy is very familiar, you know, with a military background, and he, he still attributes a lot of his success today to being brought up in that kind of environment. But um, but what he does, I mean, of course, he takes that, you know, to another level as far as his devotion to the troops. You know, he's done a lot of work with this uh, thank you military sweepstakes where, you know, there is, uh, there's contests for people to win things. Um, you know, and he personally has surprised the families of the winners, uh, you know, with new things, whatever they win. He also is very active and supports uh, something called FISH Fish. It's called Friends in Service of Heroes. And that's an organization that, uh, you know, for people down on their luck, uh, that service members that might be down on their luck. And, uh, anytime the, uh, chiefs engage with the military, Chris, whether it's any type of military appreciation day, he's at the forefront of it. And, uh, he says, I will never put military people on the back burner, uh, especially veterans. So again, he does some great stuff, Chris, you know, young guy, but, uh, you know, wise beyond his years, but go to the website. Do anything. Go to salutetoservice.com. You'll find his story there. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Bob, that's great stuff from Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So appreciative of guys that are out there doing great things for our military veterans. We owe so much to them because there, if there wasn't a them, there wouldn't be an us. So kudos to him for what he's doing for our veterans and kudos to you, Bob, for finding that story. This week, I'm putting my spotlight on Dak Prescott and his organization. Faith, Fight, Finish. Dak founded the organization in honor of his late mother, who he lost back in 2013 to colon cancer, which is now something near and dear to my heart since my brother-in-law is currently battling colon cancer as well. But Dak's foundation funds cancer research, supports suicide prevention initiatives, because he also lost his brother to suicide back in 2020. The foundation also works to bridge the gap between law enforcement and the communities they serve. It invests in a better future by empowering individuals, families, and communities to find strength through adversity, just like Dak has had to do. A couple of months ago, Dak hosted a seminar on Facebook and YouTube Live titled Men and Mental Health, along with Jets defensive lineman Solomon Thomas and Dr. Doreen Marshall, trying to talk through some of the challenges that men go through and to break the stigma that stops men from seeking mental health assistance many times. In addition to those things, last year, Dak hosted a surprise Christmas party for local foster kids in Dallas. He also put on three pro camps, which were intended by 3,000 young players at Mississippi State University, his alma mater. Plus, you'll also find Dak participating in events like the Make-A-Wish Foundation does a lot there as well. So for all of these reasons, Bob, that's why I'm putting my spotlight on Dak Prescott this week. That's a great story, too, Chris. And, you know, being in Dallas and being under a microscope, the public eye, you know, he dealt with his own injuries and everything. I mean, his his time is valuable, but you always see, and you've seen it on on uh, commercials and, and things like that, or, or just, you know, that he's been uh, involved in the community and doing incredible things that basically trump what he does on the football field. So, uh, right. kudos to Dak, and he, uh, he's done this for a few years, and it's not the first time his name has come up here, but you know, it's great to hear that he's, well, it's not surprising, but 
we know a guy like that will always be doing this once, as, as long as he's in the public eye. That's right. All right, my friends, it is time for us to put a bow on this edition of Thursday Night Tailgate. Our sincere thanks again to Paul Alexander, Tony Collins, Willie Simmons, and Richmond Webb for joining us tonight. And Bob, always a privilege to get to spend my Thursday nights with you. Oh, I, I I feel the same way, Chris. And when you think you mentioned those four names, those, those are probably you know four of our our superstars on, on, on right. this channel. I mean, all in one show. Uh, that that's special. As uh, you know, I'm sure uh, they'll co- all come back again at another time. But we'll do this in a few more weeks. Correct. That's right. Next time we get together is going to be Thursday, December the first, and that night scheduled to join us are former Chiefs defensive tackle Bill Moss. One of our favorite guests and a TNT Guest Hall of Famer, Vincey Glenn, will be back with us that night as well. As will former Dolphins linebacker Dwight Hollier. And then, of course, Tony Collins will be here with our five-star picks of the week. You can follow us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari, and the show is at TNT Podcast. Please visit us on Facebook. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages, plus we've got a page for the show, Thursday Night Tailgate. Please give us a like. That's important to us. Please check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Plus, this show is available as a podcast on a number of great sites like Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. If you have a favorite podcast app, we're probably on that one too. Just type in Thursday Night Tailgate in the search bar. You'll probably find us on there as well. Bob, take us home, my friend. Bob, take us home, my friend. Okay, Chris. I look forward to speaking in a few weeks. Always a pleasure. And we want to thank our great announcer, Joe Lajanusa, for the wonderful job he always does with our intro and ads. And we want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. On behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank everyone out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you the most. And until and until a few weeks, good night, Kevin. Good night, Harry. night, Rusty. And good night, Coach Reed. We miss you guys. Coming down the mountain, I take a breath of sand. Can't tell the day or time, but I know this day will end. On a mission I 